Chapter Thirty of the Heart of Philura by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty, Milly. Daffodils and crocus spread vivid patches of colour against the stiff brown mould of the Orne garden, and languid bees, plunged deep in their faintly odorous cups, smeared their brown bodies in the plentiful pollen with soft humming of content. Over against the leafless hedge, sprays of yellow bush and flowering almond were beginning to show a delicate tracery of gold and rose. Grandma Orne, standing in the door, her gingham apron over her head, looked forth over the garden to the orchard beyond. It does be all, she murmured, how everything comes round just the same year after year. Things that don't make no difference, like yellow bush and crocus blows. They don't look no older than I was young, and me and Grandpa are standing here, both of us straight and strong and full of gumption. A body'd think a bush was more account than folks if they didn't know no better. What you muttering about, Grandma? Propounded a feeble voice from the bedroom. Seems as though your tongue is always a wagging. Mrs. Orne poured the contents of a saucepan into a cup her lips firmly compressed. "'You've been asleep, Grandpa, nigh on a two hours,' she told him. "'Here's your broth, all nice and hot, and I'll put an extra pilly under your head so as you can drink it.' The old man groaned protestingly as he yielded to her ministrations. "'I ain't been asleep,' he contradicted. "'Not for a minute. Don't you suppose I know?' "'I heard you were snoring.' said Grandma convincingly. You certainly had a real nice nap. She held the steaming cup to his puckered lips. I want you should swallow this right down, she exhorted him anxiously, so's to get up your strength. The spring's coming on real nice. Why, there's crocus and yellow bush and butter and eggs all in blow. Just where you planted them out when we was first married. You remember, don't you, Grandpa? He stared at her uncomprehendingly over the brim of the cup, his eyes under their sparse lashes resembling dull blue glass. Where's Milly? he demanded fretfully. I ain't seen her all day. She don't seem to care if her old Grandpa. No, don't you talk that way, interrupted Mrs. Orne with a brisk show of authority. Milly come in to see you first thing this morning, and she was up in the night a couple of times, too, to fix the fire. I guess you forgot. She bent over the bed and spoke loudly in the old man's ear. Milly's a working to Malvina Bennett's shop. She's a learning the dressmaking trade, Grandpa. Well, you don't have to holler at me like that, he rebuked her. I ain't no deeper than you be. What Milly want to do that for, I'd like to know. I want her at home. She could make out to plant the lettuces and radishes, I guess. And you, you want to get them tomatoes started in them tin cans I saved. Seems like I put a ripe tomato on a board to dry for seed. Well, I, I don't know. Well, I don't know. His wrinkled lids fell suddenly over the dull blue of his tired old eyes. He was asleep. Mrs. Orne softly withdrew the extra pillow from beneath her husband's head, 
Then she stood looking down at him, her head slightly tremulous with age, bent to one side, her hands touching the bedclothes with little caressing pats. "'Well, I guess Grandpa is better,' she murmured. "'He looked real bright when he was setting up, and he contradicted me just as pert and sassy. Oh, he'll be round, Grandpa will. Oh, land, I must get them tomato seeds started. I'd clean forgot em. Millie came home early that night. She was afraid Grandpa wasn't quite so well when she'd left him in the morning, she explained. The old lady reassured her with little cackling reminiscences of Grandpa's smart sayings during the day. "'And you ought to have heard him a finding fault,' she finished triumphantly. "'Oh, he's a-picking up, Grandpa is. "'Twon't be no time before he's out a-puttering round the garden. "'But I'm afraid you'll be hopping mad when he finds we clean forgot her tomatoes. <laughs> "'They ought to be an inch high by now. <laughs> "'He wants you should plant the radishes, Millie, "'and I guess you'd better do it right off so that I can tell him tomorrow. "'Maybe it'll kind of pacify him.' The sun was sinking in a soft glow of burning rose as the girl thrust her spade deep in the yielding loam. She had changed her neat gown to one of faded gingham and over it wore an old coat of grandfather's, a concession to grandmother's anxious fears unless she should take cold. On her feet were broken shoes, plenty good enough for the garden, the old lady had declared providently. Milly had yielded without protest but once out of sight of the window where grandmother was washing the tea things she flung aside the hat pressed down over her bright hair the walls of miss malvina's sewing-room had seemed to stifle the girl that day she welcomed the cool wind which had sprung up at sunset with a sigh of relief high up in the big chestnut trees across the road robins were singing and from the reedy margin of the brook uprose the plaintive piping of frogs Afar off on a neighbouring farm, a cow blatantly announced her annual bereavement. The hollow, melancholy note floated lonesomely on the wind, seemed indeed to be a part of it, as it swept the budding trees on its way down the valley. The light was fading as she scattered the seed in the shallow drills she had prepared for it. The cow had ceased her complaining by now, but the plaintive frogs piped louder than ever from their reedy marsh. Millie was thinking vaguely of the gentle patter of Miss Malvina's conversation that day. The little dressmaker had indulged in various reminiscences of her own youth as the two women set neat finishing stitches on a gown intended for a village bride. "'Real pretty, ain't it?' said Miss Malvina, surveying her handiwork with honest pride. "'Land, I remember when I first begun sewing steady, I used to feel kind of nervous like whenever I had to make a wedding dress or a shroud. Seems as though the goods felt kind of different to the hand. I suppose I hadn't really given up being married myself, and I had a kind of notion in them days that I'd die young if I wasn't. It seemed like an awful while to forty even. Or thinks I, I can't never stand it that long. But then... I guess there's some folks just born to help other folks live and die. I know I was, for here I be, fifty-one my last birthday and still chipper, and making up wedding dresses and shrouds or anything that comes to hand, and I've give up dying definite till my time comes. Milly smoothed the earth carefully above the radish seed and pressed it down with a board as Grandfather had taught her, wondering if after all it would seem so terribly long to thirty 
and if arrived at that distant bourne she could at last forget youth and the poignant ache of loneliness at her heart she arose from her knees presently and brushed the loose earth from her gown grandmother had lighted the lamp and set it on a table near the window its long ray of pale light extended into the gathering dusk like an unyielding finger pointing down a grey vista of years to be travelled humbly and meekly then all at once she perceived that she was not alone absorbed in her thoughts she had not heard the click of the gate nor his step on the soft earth he stood a little way off gazing at her doubtfully i wasn't sure at first that it was really you he said she glanced awkwardly at her faded gingham and ragged coat her heart beating suffocatingly in her throat already she'd seen that he was older graver and that his dress was of a sober elegance aren't you going to speak to me milly his voice seemed to come to her from a great way off oh you you surprise me she stammered her hands she was thinking were stained with earth her feet in their broken shoes moved a little and then all at once she felt his arms close about her milly milly he was murmuring his lips against her cold cheek she struggled to free herself no no she cried out you must let me go why don't you love me have you forgotten already he drew away from her his face pale in the fading light but perhaps you're thinking i finished thinking long ago she said her delicate head thrown back her eyes gazing straight into his all these months when i heard nothing from you oh you don't know he interrupted eagerly my mother you will let me explain it isn't necessary she said sadly you're not in my world walter hill you had nothing else to do nothing even to amuse yourself with so you amused yourself with me your mother permitted it because she needed a servant that's what i'm fit for a servant i understand i know you needn't explain milly he said gravely my mother is dead his voice broke a little over the hard word all that she did strange even cruel as it may seem to you must be forgiven now do you think you can forgive her and me she gazed at him without speech her eyes under the fallen masses of her hair wet with sudden tears oh but i'm oh you don't know everything she murmured i'm not even you are the woman i love he made swift answer and in his voice and eyes was all the boy's passion deepened and made sacred by the sorrowful realization of the man who has looked upon death and from it learned something of the meaning of life end of chapter 30 end of the heart of philura by florence morse kingsley